Hey, it's Finn, and if you've been listening to 680 for long, you know that I'm a big fan of Audi Atlanta. That's where I got my Audi Q8 e-tron, which I absolutely love. And it's the only dealership I would recommend to my friends and my family. And here's why. For one, Audi Atlanta has a great selection of luxury vehicles. They helped me find the exact SUV I was looking for, and the purchase was super easy. A fully transparent experience catered to me. The same experience they provide all their customers And here's one more reason that makes Audi Atlanta so special. During the month of April, Audi Atlanta will make a donation to Enduring Hearts for every vehicle sold. Thanks to the efforts of Enduring Hearts, children with heart transplants are living longer and healthier lives. Get the Audi you've always wanted while supporting a great cause. To learn more about Enduring Hearts and to view our current specials, visit AudiAtlanta.com. To start or complete your entire purchase online or shop Audi Atlanta in person like I did on Peachtree Boulevard just inside the perimeter. Together, we have the power to make positive changes that could last a lifetime. Before I get to my next guest, John Cook, I want to give a shout out to a few more of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Finn Cycles. It's time to rethink golf. The game is at a tipping point. The young people we need in the game don't have four and a half hours to spend out on the course. Pairing Finn Cycles with a desire to play ready golf can cut playing time in half because all golfers go directly to their own golf ball. Plus, it's tons of fun. Go online to finscooters.com and click on Find a Fin for a course that has them near you. I also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Golf Pride. Did you know that Golf Pride lets you rep your favorite team while also using the number one grip in golf? Your team, your grip, MCC Hybrid Grips, the number one grip series worldwide. Features an exclusive brush cotton cord in the upper hand for all weather performance with premium rubber in the lower hand for added feel. The new MCC Team Series is available in a variety of new color combinations so you can rep your favorite team out on the course. Available in standard and midsize. Check it out online by going to golfpride.com. And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. All right, now back with me is Champions Tour Pro and Sirius XM radio host John Cook. Let me remind you about John's background. He's from Toledo, Ohio, but grew up in Southern California. He went back and played his college golf at Ohio State, where he was a three-time All-American. He helped them win three consecutive Big Ten titles from 1977 to 1979 and the 1979 National Championship. He won six individual titles while at Ohio State. He also won the Les Bolstad Award for the low-stroke average in the conference from 77 to 79 and was inducted into the Ohio State Hall of Fame in 1986. John won the U.S. Amateur Championship in 1978 and finished second to Marco Mira in 79. John won several amateur championships, including the California State Am in 75 and the Ohio Amateur in 1978 and 79. Turned pro later on in 79, won his first PGA Tour event in 1981 at the Bing Crosby National Pro-Am by beating Hale Irwin, Bobby Clampett, Ben Crenshaw, and Barney Thompson in a playoff. Won again at the 1983 Canadian Open, this time by beating Johnny Miller in a playoff. In all, John won 11 times on the PGA Tour, 10 times on the Champions Tour, and has seven top 10 finishes in majors. He was named the 1992 PGA Tour Comeback Player of the Year. In 2013, he was inducted into the Southern California Golf Association's Hall of Fame. 
You can now hear him on uh, Connected with John Cook on Sirius XM's PGA Tour channel. And I'm excited to have him back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, John, thanks for coming back on the show. My pleasure, Chris. How are you doing? I'm fantastic, John. How are you? That's a stroll down memory lane right there. I don't even remember some of that. That was great. (laughs) (laughs) Glad I could help. You did a lot, my friend. You uh, you certainly deserve to be in those Hall of Fame. (laughs) Well, I don't know about that, but the Les Bolstad Award and all that stuff, that's that's good stuff. That's one of those trophies. (laughs) Indeed. John, I want to start our time tonight. I want to get your thoughts on the WGC match play tournament from the weekend. We don't get a lot a lot of match play events on the tour outside of the Ryder Cup and the President's Cup. What do you think about the event what you saw? Yeah, overall, you know, it's a great event. It's match play. Um, they've, they've gone through different formats in the last years that they've had. And, um, you know, different venues, different, different formats. And I think the one that they have now is working. Obviously, they, you know, it, Billy Horschel and, and um, Scotty Sheffer, two wonderful players, two young Americans, which was exciting for us. They're in the final. Not, not the, the sexy final that you would want to have, but you know what? They earned their way. They won their matches. They did what they needed to do. And uh, they got to the final, and, you know, it, it, it's match play. And that's what you get. And uh, Billy uh, Kind of wore out uh, Scotty Scheffler and a very worthy champion. He's won events before. He's a FedEx Cup champion. He's won a number of events. So Billy Horschel is no joke and uh, a very, very worthy champion. And, John, when you get down to the finals, I mean, those two guys played a lot of golf, particularly yeah. on the weekend. I mean, Billy Horschel and Scotty Scheffler, you know, they played uh, over 120 holes for the tournament. And nearly 70 holes when you look at Saturday and Sunday. Seems like it'd be tough to play great golf by the time you get to that last round. Is that is that too much to ask of those guys? And then to turn around in a couple of weeks to have to go to Augusta? I, I don't think so, Chris. It, it, that's that's the the uh, that's the format. That's that's the event. You know that going in. You know that if you're going to get to the final and try to win a golf tournament, that's what you're going to be faced with. We did that in the U.S. Amateurs. We did that. Uh, any of those match play events, you know, Western Amateur, you played, you know, 72 holes, plays, top 16 get in. Um, those were long events as well. So down to the end that if you're going to win this golf championship, you're going to play a lot of golf. And you, you have to be, you're not going to have your best all the time. It's just a matter then on, on uh, you know, just kind of preserving where you are, being efficient at what you do, and uh, you know, playing match play. You know? You're beating the guy no matter what. Five beats six, four beats five. That's when it comes down to the final, and you're kind of your, your mind isn't on the same page as your body is because your body is slowing down, but your mind is going at a thousand miles an hour. Uh, that's that's how you survive it. And you know, Billy Horschel did it the best. John, when you've played in match play tournaments, what's what's been your strategy? Do you go out there and just try to shoot the best score possible? Or does it change, you know, that strategy? Does it change based on what you're watching your opponent do? Do you adjust based on that? I do adjust, Chris. I always went into every single match trying to beat the golf course, trying to beat par. And then you adjust going along. If you, you know, get to the back nine and you've got somebody buried, you know, know, so be it. If you go to the back nine and you're three or four under par and you're even one down, 
so be it as well. Then you start to adjust. But I always thought the first nine holes of match play, to me, was a match play against the golf course. I didn't want to give away holes, you know, making bogeys. Uh, you know, I, I didn't want to give the way to par three, making bogeys. Uh, but that was my strategy. So, you know, if I needed to adjust, I adjusted. If I didn't, I just tried to keep beating the golf course because, you know what, he's going to have to make birdies down the stretch to beat me, and I'm not going to try to – I'm not going to beat myself. Um, maybe that's why I was covered in that play a lot of times. I I just didn't give in, and uh, I, I played the golf course first off, and then I adjusted as needed going down the stretch. John, I want to switch gears a little bit, and uh, I was reading that you've worked with Patrick Cantlay on his game, and he's a guy that I think is right on the cusp of winning a major championship. And you look back at his 2019 season, he finished tied for ninth at the Masters, tied for third at the PGA. He won the Zozo Championship back in October, finished second at the American Express Championship in January. Talk about working with Patrick and uh, how close he is to breaking through and getting a major. Yeah, you said it right there, uh, Chris. He's he's very he's very close. He knows his he knows his uh, position um, in the game. Uh, I've known him uh, since he was in his middle teens. Uh, he's been in Jamie Mulligan's program since he was a child. You know, you know seven, nine years old. Uh, just that classic, uh, probably fourteen, fifteen. Uh, just in high school, he was that you know kid hanging around. You know, Pete Thomasulo, myself, John Merrick. John Ballinger, uh, Paul Goidos. He was that little kid that was just, you know, kind of sponging and soaking in everything that we were we were talking about and working with Jamie uh, on. And uh, lo and behold, his senior high school, all of a sudden he was, you know, six foot one and one fifty, and then all of a sudden he was six foot one and one eighty, and now he's hitting it by us. So it was uh, it was very interesting <laughs> to see the transgression of. Uh, or the transformation of Patrick Cantley, but he was, uh, you know, always, he wanted knowledge, and he was soaking in knowledge. He was always asking questions uh, and uh, wanting to learn more and more, and the transformation of, of Patrick Cantley from his senior year of high school to his sophomore year of college was incredible. Um, not only the talent coming out, but his golf IQ coming out. And, you know, taking that into his first couple of years as a pro, being very successful, you know, had a, you know, a, a story, unfortunate setback with his from his uh, uh, passing at, uh, un, you know, an opportune time for him, basically cost him, you know, two and a half, almost three years. Otherwise, he'd be you know, even further along. But once he came back and once he, he knew that, this is what he wanted to do for the rest of his life, play golf and compete. He just went nose to the grindstone. He is very, very disciplined. He knows his body, knows his body very, very well. And he also knows his place in this game. And it is amongst the best. It's amongst the, the Dustin Johnsons, the Brooks Pepkas. Uh, it's amongst those guys. You've got to remember that you know, he was that guy before his Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas and, and, and those guys. He was he was that guy, and now he's you know gaining more confidence, gaining more um, respect amongst his peers, and there's really no telling um, you know where Patrick can go. He wants Ryder Cups, he wants major championships. That's his mentality. That's the way it's been. You know, John, speaking of majors, and most of us are never going to know 
what it feels like to be in that sort of pressure cooker of a major going into the last round and, and uh, you know, kind of standing up on the first tee and then standing up on the back nine, trying to win a major championship. You were in the thick of it in 1981 at the U.S. Open at Marion and twice in 92 at the Open Championship at, at Muirfield and the PGA Championship at Bell Reeve. And I guess in my mind, I'm thinking it's sort of like what we hear about the NFL playoffs. Once you get in the playoffs, things seem to speed up. Is that what it's like yep. in a major? Do things you know tend to speed up? 100%, Chris. It's exactly right. Um, you know, biggest just you know, I, I have a lot to be thankful for in my career and won a lot. And you know, I've lost a lot. I can tell you how to win. I can tell you how to lose. Unfortunately, I didn't get across that finish line in the major championship, and I had my chances with a number of them. Um, the two in 92 definitely come to mind. Uh, 94 U.S. Open, uh, you know, a few more PGAs down the line. But um, I can tell you, you, you hit the nail right on the head again that things do speed up, and that's where you have to be. You have to recognize that, and you have to slow yourself down. Just get ahead of yourself. You can't start predicting. You can't hold the trophy to the guard of your hand. Obviously, that I was kicking trophies you know, left and right for a couple of years and never got to kiss one in a major championship. So um, it, it definitely does. So when you recognize that, and that's what the great champions do, that's what the great Hall of Famers do, uh, is they recognize that. They slow things down. They get to their pace. And, um, you know, then they execute what, what they need to execute. And, uh, you, know, you know, looking back, you know, I got ahead of myself in the 92 Open this field. Um, I got going pretty fast. And, you know, it cost me kind of down the stretch. PPA, Nick Price just kind of went out and won it. You know, just, sometimes there's not much you can do. And, it, you know, other than you know, make, make cars and hit quality golf shots, you just more down the stretch than I did. I didn't feel like I gave that away. I felt like I gave the Open Championship away to Nick Fowler. No question about it. Um, but that's why he's the Hall of Famer, the six-time champion. Is you know he he knew how to close the deal in a major championship. I knew how to close deals, but not in a major, and that's uh, maybe costly. But um, that's exactly right. You have to slow yourself down, take some more deep breaths, um, you know, and, and uh, execute what uh, is right in front of you. John, I want to switch gears a little bit and uh, kind of get a playing lesson or two from me, if you will. And one of the things I think many of us do, many of us amateurs do, is when we start to feel that pressure, we end up putting like a death grip on the club. Talk about the <laughs> yep. importance of grip pressure and the negative things that can happen if you let pressure manifest itself in your grip. You know, I've been very lucky in my career uh, early on with uh, my mentor, Ken Maturi. Uh, we always talked about grip pressure and uh, also playing a lot with Tom Weisskopf. Always talked about his grip pressure and, you know, how you re-grip the club going back. You, you're going to grip it tighter anyway. So just start out to where, you know, your hands can move and your your, your hands can do the little waggle. Uh, you don't want to stay stiff on them. You, don't, you want the club always moving. You want the body to kind of moving and walking. You don't ever want to stay you know, stationary for too long. Uh, Kenny would always say, well, keep your feet moving, keep your body moving, and then once you're over the ball, um, you know, a, a one count and then go. One count and go. Um, and, and that's you know, how we got started you know, with my, with my uh, backswing. And uh, not too much grip pressure uh, to where you don't want the club to you know, be pulled out of your hand 
but just enough to keep it in your hand. Uh, so that, that's the type of grip pressure that you're looking for, because you will regrip it um, as stronger as you take the club away, and that was uh, exactly what Tom Weisskopf was saying. John, another thing most of us amateurs do is we're, we're focused on score versus the process of hitting good shots. How, how do we not let score come first and free up our minds so that we can execute the shot that our eyes are looking at? Yeah, that's a great question, Chris. And and another thing that Kenny always said was you, know, you never project ahead. You never you, great great scores aren't shot you know from the first tee. Great scores are adjusted you know throughout the round. So when you get on the first tee, you're just trying to hit quality golf shots, quality golf shots. Uh, the, to the best of your ability, never project your head on. Oh gosh, I've got you know, two reachable par four, par five. I've got you know a couple easy par fours. Once you get into that trap, that's when your round is basically gone. So you really, really have to you know, stay in the present. Never project ahead on what you have in front of you, and you know, just execute as best as you can on that particular moment. That's all you can do. And, John, kind of reverting back to pressure, two players that I think that need to kind of free up their minds, especially on Sundays, is Rory McIlroy and Jordan Spieth. If we look ahead to the Masters, if those guys are in a position to win come Sunday late afternoon, what would you say to Rory? What does he need to do to minimize what's going on in his mind trying to complete the career grind slam? Or for Jordan, who's trying to make his you know, kind of way all the way back, and not make sure those goals from the you know the twelfth hole come back in. How do how do you do that? How do you free up those minds? You know, Sunday is such a different animal, Chris. That it you know it is the finale. Uh, you you're, you're you're playing your up to your seventy second hole or maybe even beyond, and you just got to revert back to you know doing what you've been doing. Um, you know, playing golf like you're you know out there playing with your friends. Uh, is re- relax, really focus and commit each, each and every, each and every swing. And um, that's basically all you can do. Obviously, with Rory and with Jordan, they have some mechanical flaws in their swings. There's no, there's no question about it. And I'm not saying it because nobody that doesn't know already. Um, but you know, if they're in position to win on Sunday, maybe they've corrected a little bit of those flaws and then just free wheel and trust it. That's all you can do. Uh, on, on Sunday, when it gets down to the last round holes, you have to figure out a way to get to the house. Uh, you do look at the leaderboard, get comfortable there, um, and, and see what's in front of you, and then you adjust on the fly, or you don't have to adjust. You, you know, you still have the lead, and you're still right there. And so for them, it's a little bit mechanical, I, I think, and you know, when it gets you know, pressure on, um, you know, still putts get missed. Uh, you know, two shots get missed you know, a little bit wider. The closing weight gets a little bit further uh, along. Uh, the pressure starts to mount, and the, and the more that you can hit quality golf shot after quality golf, takes your mind and the ease off of the next swing. So when you know whatever this swing he's at, they've been working on that week that seems to be working. They got to keep doing it and keep remembering that. Do you remember your first trip to Augusta National back in 79 and what that first drive up Magnolia Lane was like? <laughs> I do, I do. It was it was incredible. And, you know, I, I really prepared the week before. It was, I was on spring break from Ohio State. Um, I was in uh, Palm Springs. We had a house at Mission Hills. We had a house there for a number of years. So I was you know, working on my game there at Mission Hills during the dinosaur 
during the Donna Shore and um, you know, I played in the Pro-Am a couple of days and you know, trying to get my, my game into shape because, you know, it wasn't sharp, but I, was, I got back to Augusta and drove down uh, my joint lane that first time. I, I just couldn't believe my eyes. I, it just, I mean, my game is something that I've been forward to for so, so long and, uh, you know, earned my way into it. Every step of the way with me, you know, obviously his history around Augusta National is, is, is uh, quite honored. And I played my practice rounds that year. On uh, he and I played nine holes on Sunday afternoon, and then I played uh, my three practice rounds on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday with Tony, um, with Tom Weisskopf, and with Ed Snead. Ed Snead went on and uh, lost in the playoffs. Uh, my my first trip around there as, as an amateur was uh, just an incredible experience. Just being part of the Western National, being part of the amateur field, uh, going to the remembering Howard Harden taking us aside and saying, you know, we haven't had an, never had an amateur win this, this, you know, the Masters before, and you know how honored we were to have amateurs in the field. Um, it just made me feel special, and I went out and I first round pairing. Those are things that, you know, 
they weren't goals of mine, but dedication and sacrifice and commitment, uh, those things can happen. And it can happen to anybody out there. And uh, I'm just truly honored to be part of uh, this Hall of Fame. John, before I let you go, let our listeners know, how can they stay up to date with you? What do you got coming up on your schedule and then uh, on your show as well? Yeah, so we um, I kind of backed down a little bit from Sirius. I'm still doing uh, shows, but I'm doing doing it with uh, Craig Can, who I was doing it with before, but not every single week because, you know, once my golf channel schedule starts breaking up, you know, there's a lot of days that I, I was going to be missing. Um, but I wanted to stay part of the channel. I wanted to stay part of uh, Craig's show. Um, so Wednesday night from 7 to 9 Eastern, um, most, uh, I'm going to say probably at least twice a month or a couple, you know, maybe three times a month I'll be on with Craig. Um, and then uh, I'll be doing my golf channel uh, duties out on the PGA Tour Champions. I'll be doing uh, all of our PGA Tour Champions events for that, uh, 25 of those events. Uh, we've only played two so far, so I feel like I've really been on a, a long, long winter and spring break, so I'm ready to get back to work. Um, but um, I'll be doing uh, a lot of that, and uh, hopefully a U.S. Open. I'll be at Torrey Pines doing something, uh, and also then to the uh, in July at uh, at uh, Royal St. George and also at Sunnydale. So that, that's pretty much my schedule. I won't be competing much. I still play a lot of golf, but not uh, not competing. And um, but uh, I enjoy it more than probably I did the last few years of my competitive career. But I love what I'm doing. I love talking about golf. I love studying the word. Love helping people. And it's just like you and I are chatting golf. That's what I'm trying to do out there on the golf and on the radio. Well, John, before I let you go, I want to reprise something from your uh, SEGA Hall of Fame speech. You said, my mentor and close friend Ken Venturi once told his dad he was really good at golf. His dad replied, when you're good at something, tell people. But if you're really good at something, they'll tell you. And I want to thank the SCGA for telling me I was a really good player. Well, John, you were a really good player. You're also a really good broadcaster. And from uh, the times I've got to spend with you, I can tell you're a 10 times better person, and I can't thank you enough for coming back and being a part of the show again tonight. Well, Chris, it's my pleasure, as always, and thank you for those kind words. I'll never forget those words, Kenny Venturi, and uh, I, I live by those. I live by those. And it, it's fun to be part of this great game. Uh, it's not a better game on the planet, and uh, there's so, so many good people in this game uh, including you there, Chris, and I appreciate you having me on anytime. John, take care. Stay safe out there, my friend. I hope we get the opportunity to catch up with you soon. Between now and then, uh, take care, and like I say, all the best to you and your family. My, fam my, my pleasure. Thank you very much. See you, John. That's a great John Cook, folks. You want to talk about a heck of a player. You know, you want to say 11 PGA Tour wins, 10 more on the Champions Tour. Uh, but then what he has meant to the game of golf, again, in a couple of Hall of Fames, which you can tell why he's in those Hall of Fames, right? It's not all about just what you do on the golf course. It's also what you do off of it. John was a great player on it. And like I say, from uh, the privilege I've had of getting to know him just a little bit uh, over the last uh, probably six or nine months, you can tell uh, what a great person he is and how much he gives back. And then uh, working with guys like Patrick Cantlay and then being on PGA Tour Radio, and all of those, the golf channel, obviously, as well. Um, it's sort of that great package, right? Great player, great person. That's how you get in those Hall of Fame. That's how you get to know 
all of the people that John has gotten to know over the years and that sort of thing and all the opportunities that have uh, that have come his way. Uh, super guy and really, really enjoyed myself. I hope, uh, like I say, I hope we get the privilege of going for number three here before too long. Hey, it's Finn, and if you've been listening to 680 for long, you know that I'm a big fan of Audi Atlanta. That's where I got my Audi Q8 e-tron, which I absolutely love. And it's the only dealership I would recommend to my friends and my family. And here's why. For one, Audi Atlanta has a great selection of luxury vehicles. They helped me find the exact SUV I was looking for, and the purchase was super easy. A fully transparent experience catered to me. The same experience they provide all their customers And here's one more reason that makes Audi Atlanta so special. During the month of April, Audi Atlanta will make a donation to Enduring Hearts for every vehicle sold. Thanks to the efforts of Enduring Hearts, children with heart transplants are living longer and healthier lives. Get the Audi you've always wanted while supporting a great cause. To learn more about Enduring Hearts and to view our current specials, visit AudiAtlanta.com to start or complete your entire purchase online. Or shop Audi Atlanta in person like I did on Peachtree Boulevard just inside the perimeter. Together, we have the power to make positive changes that could last a lifetime the winningest team in baseball also has the most saves and people who save the most money are winners so start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only ten dollars each these bonds earn a fixed seven percent apy and there's no fees penalties or minimum balance required and they can be redeemed whenever you like You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save. And save and win. Spring is here and baseball is back. You can't forget the derby. I love the hats. Do you have yours yet? My hat? I treated myself to a whole outfit. If you want to be able to treat yourself, then you should check out the Nest Savings Account at LGE Community Credit Union, where they want you to reach your savings goals faster. Take it from a pair of 680 The Fan wives. Head to lgeccu.org to find out what makes their team number one in Georgia. 